Today's episode is brought to you by the Tax Defense Group. The team of professionals at the Tax Defense Group are passionate about helping taxpayers resolve their tax debt. Their services include basic tax preparation, tax audits, resolving large tax debt, and more. They actively represent taxpayers throughout the entire USA. If you need help resolving your tax issues, contact the Tax Defense Group. Call the Tax Defense Group today at 800-850-7973 to get started. That number again is 800-850-7973, and you can visit them online at thetaxdefensegroup.com. Are you thinking about starting a business or a side hustle? For all businesses to be successful, you need a website. Rider Junkie offers website development, content writing, and SEO services for business websites. Call Rider Junkie today at 805-587-7966, and you can visit them online at riderjunkie.com. We recently launched our website, ucaststudios.com. With articles about sports, special interest topics, and more, we have some cool stuff on our site. To read our content, please visit ucaststudios.com. What's going on, everybody? Welcome to the Lakers Outsiders podcast. We got a very, very special uh, edition of the show today because for the first time in 3,016 days, the Los Angeles Lakers have won a playoff game. And this is the first uh, podcast after a playoff win in Lakers Outsiders history. So uh, if you got champagne at home, now is the time to pop it. Uh, even if you're probably listening to this at like 10 in the morning. Uh, even more reason to pop champagne. <laughs> uh, in case you didn't notice, I'm not Gary Kester. Uh, we gave Gary the day off today because he is celebrating his dad's birthday. I'm Hani Amadian uh, hosting tonight. And with me is a good friend of the show, Lakers Outsiders alum, editor of Lonzo Wire, and day one fan, uh, Jacob Rood. Jacob, how does a uh, feel to finally see a Lakers win in the playoffs after all this time. Well, I hadn't even really thought about it. This website started as a team tank. <laughs> uh, I believe that, that was the official like first name of it. it. Was like the team tank podcast that eventually morphed into a website, which now <laughs> makes me <laughs> like it's been so long uh, since we've even experienced the playoffs. It's been it's been wild, and we were talking about the last one was in 2012 against the Warriors, um, the or excuse me, the Thunder. Yeah, and uh, man, it's been a long time. I remember that series. I remember how frustrating it was, but I would have never guessed at that time that that would be the last time we'd win a playoff game for a little over eight years. Um, just a man what a fun night it's it's much better than tuesday because after tuesday's win i started reading about lord of the flies and debating <laughs> whether humanity was actually good or evil so i don't think i'll be doing that tonight I, i'm glad you brought up the team tank thing because it's almost perfect it is perfect that the lakers yeah. first playoff win and so long comes the day of the draft lottery which has basically been our playoffs the last eight years 
is th- that day has been the most important day every season for the Lakers. Um, yeah, you. I mean, you hit the nail on the head. It's just amazing to really experience that feeling again. Obviously, we're expecting a lot more than just the playoff win for these Lakers, but getting that out of the way, um, it feels amazing. And it's, you know, to make it a little bit more personal for our site, it just feels so cool to actually be covering the playoffs finally. I've been with LO for probably four or five years now. I don't even know. It's been a long time, and I've never had to cover the playoffs for them. So uh, it feels amazing. Um, but we're going to get into it. Uh, before we do, just a reminder to everybody to follow all of our socials. Uh, you can get us on Twitter, at Lakers Outsiders, same handle on Instagram, like us on Facebook. Uh, for me, my handle is at H-O-N-I-A-H-M. Jacobs is at uh, Jacob Rude, J-A-C-O-B-R-U-D-E. Uh, and then you can find our podcast on every podcast platform. Uh, you can find it on iTunes, uh, Spotify, Podbean, etc. We definitely appreciate any reviews and ratings that you leave us. It really helps the site out, helps the podcast out. And uh, I know Gary will want me to add this. It will eventually help us get a sponsorship from Popeyes since we talk about that damn chicken <laughs> sandwich every single podcast. Um, I still yeah, never had it. They don't exist. I don't think Popeyes exists in Indiana, though. Oh, that is sad. If the Lakers win a championship, I'm mailing you one. Uh, I'll drive <laughs> somewhere. Let's let's, let's let's workshop that idea. Okay, I'll pay for your gas. <laughs> All right, that's much better. All right, let's get into it. Uh, first question I wanted to ask you, and and something we can riff on is, I thought the Lakers made a couple of really important adjustments in this game that really helped them get out to this uh, massive win where they were up by 30-plus points. They ended up winning 111-88 um, to 88 after basically an entire quarter of garbage time. Uh, just wanted to ask you, what did you think was the main adjustment Frank Vogel or any of the players made that, that kind of led to this uh, huge turnaround? Well, the Lakers ran this really cool offense tonight called Making Shots. <laughs> um, I, I'm not sure why Vogel held it until Game 2. Um Maybe the media can ask him after the game. But, um, yeah, I mean, honestly, for the most part, it did simply come down to that. I, offensively, I, it didn't feel like a whole lot changed. There were some some things. But, like, the Lakers had a historically bad shooting performance in game one. So there wasn't a whole lot that needed to change because they were getting open looks. Um, game one, they were 24-43 at the rim. Tonight, they were 22 of 30. Uh, Game one, they were 5 of 31 from three. Tonight, they're 13 of 36. Um, They're 5 of 11 on corner threes tonight. They were 2 of 11 in game one. So the big thing offensively, I thought, was... uh, Well, one of the things is that AD was way more aggressive tonight. Mm -hmm. Um, And it was it's interesting because he... I didn't think he was that aggressive in game one, and he shot 17 free throws, I think. And he was way more aggressive tonight and shot two free throws. Um, So obviously not really a big indicator, but he was a plus 32 tonight. He was absolutely incredible. Um, Just way more efficient about things, not settling for stuff. Um, He was a monster on the boards in the first half. But at least offensively, I don't know that they really did anything differently. It's just they shot better, which is really what it was always going to come down to. Yeah. Uh, and I think the AD, um, the AD part of the offense was probably the biggest 
change that they really made on that end of the floor is uh, and it was really just him it, i don't think it was a coaching thing it was just him uh being more aggressive not really settling for jumpers for the most part i think he took a couple of that were a little bit iffy um but he ended up you know getting to the rim uh scoring at the rim on his putbacks which is something that you know the lakers str- struggled with in game one and he talked about them rushing their shots um, I don't know if that was an adjustment that he and JaVale and Dwight and the rest of the guys made, but they definitely seemed like they were converting on those chances a lot more uh, in this game. And I think that really fed into the energy of the whole team. And he ended up, you know, making a couple of threes later in the game. And, and you know, he's a guy that I think when he sees the ball go through the net uh, near the rim, that really ups his confidence. And, and then he gets those shots in rhythm because the other team, uh, you know, their guys are going to sag off of him because they don't want him driving to the rim like he was uh, earlier on in the game. And that really opened up those opportunities for him. Uh, For me, the biggest adjustment was actually um, something that it it, it was an offensive adjustment, but I think it mostly helped their defense. Um, And I saw a couple of people talk about this on Twitter as well, but they did an incredible job of not just sticking to pick and rolls where AD or JaVale or Dwight were, were the screener, but bringing uh, Damian Lillard's, uh, the, the guy that Damian Lillard was guarding, which happened to be Danny Green on a lot of those possessions, uh, bringing him in as the screener and forcing Dame to be a defender. Um, and that's something, one, that he just struggles with. He's not a great defender, and you can exploit that matchup. You can get uh, you know switches where now LeBron, who's handling the ball, has Damian uh, Lillard on him, and, and he can really exploit that. The other thing is it just makes him tired. It's forcing him to really defend uh, for entire possessions. Um, they also really did a great job of coming out and, and guarding him all 94 feet. I think both KCP and Alex Caruso did that uh, numerous times. And he definitely seemed like he was tired. Uh, Gary and I talked about this in the last game, where in the last podcast, where it kind of feels like the Blazers have been playing game sevens for like two weeks. And that really I felt like it helped them in game one because they were just their game was already elevated for the playoffs, whereas the Lakers were waiting to turn a switch. I think today you kind of felt that fatigue really settle in for Lillard, especially. He ended up with 18 points in 30 minutes, not an efficient night. He shot 6 of 14 from the field, only got to the free throw line five times tonight. I think he made it 10 times last time and only 1 of 7 from 3. Um, you know, and some of those were just great defense, but a lot of it was also he was tired and he was missing front rim. And I think forcing him to defend uh, was a major component of that. He, I thought the Lakers, even in game one, defended him well. Yeah. Um, they, there were a couple instances where they, it was more of a thing that they weren't used to guarding him or anyone 35 feet from the basket. And he was absolutely lethal on uh, Tuesday and made him pay. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, as you said, I mean, I think Terry Stotts has even had a quote, something along the lines of, we've played basically a game seven or in playoff mode for going on two weeks, three weeks now. Um, they have That's got to be exhausting. And not just that, Dame and CJ have played so many minutes. Mm-hmm. Um, they're carrying so much a load of this, of this team that it's something I, I when I uh, talked with Anthony... Irwin on the podcast um, yesterday. It's one of those things where it's like you assume they're going to wear down, but that might not come until round two when you're already eliminated. So you can't really treat it any differently. But yeah, that's a, as you said, it was a great way to, I guess, 
accelerate them tiring is to yeah. put put him in those screen and roll situations um, and get him moving on the around the court defensively. Um, I thought the other big thing tonight, not even just offensively, first quarter they actually came out and were really good. Yeah. Um, in the bubble before tonight, they had a net rating of negative 1.5 in first quarters. Tonight it was 32.8. <laughs> um, seems, seems a little better. <laughs> yeah, a, a minor improvement. And really the starters as a whole played well. Um, the starting five played 13 minutes, the most common five-man lineup. 153.8 offensive rating, 61.3 net rating. Um, is this the part where I give you the floor where you can brag about JaVale tonight? Yeah, I mean, this is, uh, I, I joked about it with Gary on Twitter as well. We, we'd been kind of talking about, you know, he had struggled throughout the bubble, but in game one, I thought, we both really thought he played a pretty good game. It's just that, you know, his presence on the floor is sometimes a negative just because it, it, it clutters up the spacing. He can play a good game and it might still have a negative impact on the team because AD doesn't get all that space to himself. Um, Vogel didn't really make an adjustment on that. I don't think uh, he. they basically played the same minutes of AD at the five today that they did in game one uh, as a ratio anyway. AD obviously played fewer minutes today because he didn't play the fourth quarter. Um, one change I did see, and, and I'd have to go look back and see how much of an impact it really made, but uh, it kind of felt like they used JaVale as a screener more uh, when both of them were on the floor rather than the other way around where they usually have AD screening for LeBron and JaVale in the dunker spot. Um, I'd have to go back and see how much that actually impacted it, but it was kind of an interesting wrinkle that they threw in there. Um, but yeah, he, he definitely had a great game. His activity was high. He was getting free at the basket and he was playing super strong. He had uh, one play where he sealed off Nurkic uh, and got a dunk off a of LeBron pass. That was like maybe the second possession of the game, maybe even the first. Um, and he had another possession where he just wrestled an offensive rebound away from Hassan Whiteside and basically threw him to the ground. Probably could have been a foul, but like that, you need those kind of moments. And, you know, JaVale's not going to be playing a lot of minutes in the playoffs. Um, this is probably the series where he can play the most minutes just because the Blazers also play with two bigs uh, for the majority of the game. But, um, you know, getting these minutes from him can pay huge dividends later on just because AD's not getting tired guarding, a, you know, somebody like Nurkic. Um, and as much as we want to see him at the five over and over again, because that's when the Lakers are truly at their best, I think it is really valuable that he gets to kind of take some possessions off where he's not playing center against a t an opponent that's not as good and probably won't be able to make the Lakers pay consistently. And um, I think tonight was probably the best type of JaVale you're going to get, all the reasons you mentioned. He, he only played 12 minutes. I don't know how much he would have played in the – second half or fourth quarter if the starters had played. But the, the thing I always kind of reference to, because I know a lot of people always, like you said, want 80 at the five. Everybody knows that's the Lakers' best lineup, including the Lakers, but it's also like the situ or like the Warriors used to have where everybody knew, what was the name they had, the Hamptons five? <laughs> yeah. Everybody knew that was their best lineup, but they started Zaza or even JaVale or Kevon Looney. There was a bunch of guys they would start. Just because you can't play that lineup nonstop, it'll wear everybody down. Right. Um, so, JaVale tonight, and I thought Dwight both nights had a ton of energy. 
Mm-hmm. Um, or they've been really active on the boards. In 12 minutes, JaVale had eight rebounds, five of them offensive. Um, Dwight had, in 19 minutes, had five rebounds. Um, those two, as you said, this is probably the best matchup for them to have a, to, for the Lakers to be able to play two bigs as often as they do. Um, and they have to be effective. And they, as important that, as that was, they didn't let Nurkic have a big first quarter or a big game either. Mm-hmm. Um, he finished four of 10, nine points and eight rebounds. White side, it was only one of three, um, six points and nine rebounds. If you can negate the size that they have, um, that's one of their big strengths, just having so many seven-footers that they can throw at teams. And they're kind of like the Lakers in that they can overwhelm teams at times. But uh, if you can negate that and then play as good of defense as they as they did on Dame and CJ, um I thought tonight it was it's been interesting to see what they've done on Damon CJ. They um a couple times I know tonight, I don't remember if they did it the first where they would at the end of quarters they were doing it where they would just send a double at Dame or CJ and just be like, yeah. You're you're not going to be the one that scores here. Mm-hmm. Um I know they've showed high shown high on the ball screens a lot with Dame. A D had a couple really nice um, plays with that. Dwight's done really good at that. Um, but they've tried a lot of different things. At times, just physically forcing the ball out of Dame's hands. You can't do that every time. So I thought, you have to really concentrate, like we said, to play defense on Dame. Um, he played 30 minutes and three quarters. Um, you have to really concentrate to to play player when you're playing against him and I thought they did another really good job tonight he was six of 14 which for him is about as pedestrian as it's going to get um, but he was one of seven for three and like you said he looked tired a lot of those were short yeah. um, we'll see it'll be interesting to see how this finger injury affects him he already came out and uh, he already came out and said that he's gonna play um, which isn't a shock. Um, his exact quote was, I'm playing. Um, so not a shock. It'll be interesting to see if that injury affects him at all moving forward. But, I mean, all around, this is one. This is easily the best game the Lakers have played in the bubble. And one of their better games, I, I, was gonna, I don't even remember what they, were, did, what they did before the bubble. But, yeah, it's, it's been one of their best games in a long time. Pre-bubble was almost as long ago as their last playoff win, so I don't blame <laughs> you on that. Um, yeah, the defense, uh, I'll add just one more thing. Vogel is obviously known for his defensive coaching. That's what, you know, made him the coach that he was in Indiana. Um, and, you know, he, I, what I really like about his coaching defensively is that he'll change it up. He's not going to guard you the same way over the course of the whole game. So sometimes, yeah, you're right, they trap him. Sometimes it's just a hard hedge and recover. They had one, I think only one possession this game, where uh, I believe that Crusoe guarding Lillard and Kuzma was just kind of like off to the side, not really guarding anybody, but at the free throw line, just waiting to step in uh, if Dame was going to drive to his right. 
And that left LeBron and AD or two free safeties basically guarding three guys on the weak side. And they ended up getting a steal there because Dame kind of didn't know what read to make. And he was throwing it over to the corner where there were two giant dudes <laughs> waiting to waiting to steal the ball. Um, so like those little things, you know, that's only one possession, but it's one possession where Dame might have gotten a shot. And uh, and if that shot went in, who knows how the rest of his game could have gone. Maybe he gets a little bit of confidence because he sees the ball go through the net. Um, you know, it, those little things really change a lot in the playoffs. And and I'm really glad that Vogel is kind of experimenting with these things. And this is going to be really important in the se- second round if, if the Lakers do advance like we think they do. They're probably going to see James Harden. And James Harden is an entirely different beast even than Lillard, who is, you know, a perennial MVP candidate at this point. Um, and, and, you know, they're going to be have to be able to do this same kind of stuff to really make him uh, think about what he's doing offensively. Um, all right, let's move on. I always love Twitter after a win or a loss because it, you know, leads to a lot of hot takes on either end. Uh, you know, the Lakers were frauds after game one. Now the Blazers are frauds <laughs> and we should bring the Suns back. So we're going to we're gonna have a little bit of fun with that. We're each going to give a hot take after this game. can be about anything. could be about the Lakers. could be about the Blazers. It uh, could be about the rest of the playoffs. could be about Popeyes. <laughs> well, I can't give a hot take on Popeyes because I wasn't. I again haven't had it. See, I don't know how much of this is a hot take. It might have been a better hot take on Tuesday. I don't think the Lakers are going to lose again in this series. I think this is going to be five games. I think I predicted five or six beforehand. Yeah. After how it played out on Tuesday, I was I was worried. Um, but I mean tonight. I was mainly worried because they hadn't looked anything like the team they were before the bubble. And the team that played tonight was the team that played before the bubble. Mm -hmm. Um, They had a lot of characteristics. One thing I, I didn't mean, or I think I tweeted during the game, actually Um, in the bubble, they hadn't really had one of those runs that I, I wrote it or I called it like a punch you in the mouth type of run where, um, they rip off a 15 to one run. I think they did it. I mean, technically I think they did it in the second quarter on Tuesday, but that was to close a deficit and it doesn't really feel the same. Um, tonight they were up around seven, six, seven points and then had like a 13 to two run to close the first half. Mm -hmm. And it was one of those, those runs where it just kind of, takes all the momentum away from the other team. And then they came out and did it again in the third quarter. And that was it. That The, yeah. the game was over at that point. Um, it feels like tonight, and again, like you said, maybe this, this is just too much of a takeaway from one game. And it feels like tonight they kind of got their groove back. And I would not be surprised if they just go on and win the next four games of this series. Yeah, my, my prediction was six games, but... Uh, it's wild how how far this pendulum swings from one game to another, but it definitely does feel like they they are going to get the gentleman sweep. It's just it feels like a like the quintessential LeBron uh, LeBron team in the playoffs where they take game one to just feel the opponent out. They might lose, but but they're going to come out the next game and just punch you in the mouth. And you know LeBron didn't even have to do much <laughs> in this game. He only no. scored ten points, uh, had seven assists. I think he orchestrated the offense really well. He probably had a ton of hockey assists, but um, he, he had a pretty chill night, and, and they were able to get, you know, AD going and get some of the role players like KCP hitting four threes uh, and really waking up after a, a pretty disappointing bubble so far. 
Um, so yeah, it definitely feels like if, if the role players kind of hold this uh, level and, and LeBron comes out and, and you know takes care of business, that, that they're going to be winning the next four. Uh, my hot take is more about a singular player, and it's not JaVale. Um, <laughs> I, I think we're going to end up at, at some point in the playoffs, and I think it's going to be as early as the next round, we're going to see Markeith Morris as a starter. Um, mm-hmm. I, I loved everything I saw from him today. He, you look at his box where he only had two points, six rebounds, two assists, had a block, um, and he was only a plus three. But, man, his defense tonight, it, it was amazing. He, you know, all credit to AD and the bigs for how they guarded uh, Lillard uh, in pick and rolls, but I don't think anybody was as good as uh, Markeith Morris today. He was doing an incredible job of hedging, especially when he and Caruso were playing together. He would hedge just long enough for Caruso to get back in front of Lillard and then recover quickly on, you know, somebody like Mello, who he was mostly guarding. Mello ended up with only th- uh, two points, I think, today. Um, he he I, What I love about Markeith is that he just plays his role so perfectly. He's not doing too much. He's not ISOing. Um, he's not, you know, give me the ball, I'm going to go get a bucket. He's taking open shots. He's moving the ball on offense and defensively just playing really tough. And I don't think the Lakers really have enough of those guys that are just playing tough all the time. And Markeith, you know, ending up as the guy that that takes JaVale's spot in the starting lineup eventually, which I think has to happen for them to beat uh, the Rockets and the Clippers. I, I think that makes a lot of sense. A lot of people want Kuzma to to play that position and that makes sense because Kuzma's had a, a great run recently um you know he he didn't do a whole lot today but I think he played well but I to me it makes more sense to keep Kuzma off the bench and give you that spark while Markeith is somebody who plays a lot better within the flow of an offense because he doesn't have to do much and he's going to give you that defense and he's going to space the floor around AD and LeBron and he's just going to make the right plays all along Morris is really the perfect type of kind of big to play with LeBron. LeBron pretty much always has these types of guys on his title teams. Channing Fry, to an extent, was that guy. I guess Kevin Love was technically that guy in Cleveland. Mm-hmm. Um, the the bigs that can just knock down threes and, as you said, play their role. There's a ton of those guys in Miami. I mean, I, I don't. I think Chris Bosh was more than that, but... Um, I know Richard Lewis was there for a while. Maybe like um, the Shane Battier, who's more yeah, of a wing but played the four a lot there. I think Mike Miller probably fits that role too. Yeah. Um, and I, I, you made the point that I would have that he's so good at just playing his role. Mm-hmm. Um, he's fine being the fourth or fifth option on an offense. He understands what he needs to do. Um, tonight he had... With AD, he had a 29.6 net rating. Um, with LeBron, he was a net neutral. He It was exactly zero. Um, but he, he's been really impressive. Both playoff, or yeah, both playoff games, I thought. Mm-hmm. Um, I was trying to see some of the other numbers for him, but, um, no, I like that, and especially if they play Houston, which it looks like they will next round. I wouldn't be surprised in the least if uh, if he starts. Um, yeah, I'm looking at pretty much every advanced number is really favorable to him, which kind of makes your point. LeBron, Morris, and Kuzma have a 35.9 net rating in 20 minutes in the playoffs. Yeah. Um, 
I was trying to – I can try to pull up LeBron and AD and them. But, yeah, he's been really good. He's been really important. Um, and it's really awesome that we got the better Morris brother um, for literally nothing. It, it really feels that way. Like, I think Marcus Morris is probably more of a talented player. But it it doesn't work that way on a title contending team because he's coming from a position where he was on the Knicks where they were throwing him the ball to ISO all the time. That's not what the Clippers need. They have plenty of guys that can do that. They got three of the best ISO players in Kawhi, Paul George, and, and Lou Williams. They don't need Marcus Morris to do that. The Lakers need Markeith to just you know defend, hit some threes, be tough, get rebounds, and that's exactly what he's doing. And you know, in a potential series against the Rockets, he's perfect because he he can guard wings, uh, at least bigger wings, and you're not really sacrificing anything uh, in the front court. He's still tough getting rebounds. I think you could still get that offensive rebounding edge against the Rockets uh, small ball lineup if you just have Markeith and AD out there. Um, without really giving up a whole lot of like, oh, they're going to give up more threes now because they got bigs on the floor. Um, I think he's he's a really perfect fit for that. And, you know, knock on wood, but these first two games have kind of shown me that he's a reliable player in that sort of series. Yeah, I was looking at Houston's starting lineup. I mean, we're looking way ahead now. But yeah, you could... <laughs> Feeling confident. We, we, we win one game, and we're talking about Houston. Um, yeah, I was just looking at their starting lineup. Regardless of where he, he plays, I mean, honestly, that was the move after game one when everybody was talking about changing the starting lineup. I would have rather had Markeith as the starter. Kuzma, you need a scoring off the bench, yeah. um, especially in those second units. And Kuzma... He's definitely been the Lakers' third best player in the bubble at the very least, if not, if not better. Um, so, as good as he's been, I would still put him or have him coming off the bench. He can still play big minutes. Um, he played 20 minutes tonight. I don't think he probably played much at all in the second half. Um, and he's still being effective. Yeah, Kuzma only played five minutes in the second half, um, which really, even before we were talking about this before we went live, even before the uh, the Lakers emptied the bench, they went a lot deeper tonight in their rotation than they did in game one. Both Dion and JR played minutes in the first half, um, which didn't really surprise me because the Lakers could cannot rely on even when they're really hitting shots, I don't think they can rely on KCP and Danny Green as much as they did in that first game. Um, and I was really surprised in game one Dion didn't play because he seemed like exactly the type of player we needed. Um, so it was nice. It was nice seeing them get in. It was nice seeing so many three-pointers fall <laughs> um, in a meaningful game. They did this in that that Denver game that didn't really amount to much. Yeah. They did it in the uh, I don't know, Sacramento game, which definitely didn't amount to anything. Um, so to finally do it in a game that really matters, it does a lot for confidence. Yeah. Um, just seeing the ball go through the hoop, it seemed like the minute KCP made his first one, there was no hesitation the rest of the way. 
Um, even though Danny only made one, that's going to help. Um, it's just going to be nice that, I mean, the Lakers, that's all the Lakers have talked about or been asked questions about since Tuesday is about their shooting. And it's going to be nice to have to get to go uh, two nights now or two days now not having to talk about that because I was trying to do the math here. Outside of JR going wild in the fourth quarter, he was he three of every nine. shot in the fourth quarter. <laughs> he was three of nine. The rest of the team would have been 11 of 29. Um, and it, I mean, they finished 36%, which I think roughly 35% is the league average. So they finished basically average from yeah. three and one by 30. And that's all it takes for this team. They don't, they really don't even need to be an above av- or an average three point shooting team. They could be a slightly below average three point shooting team. They just can't be literally historically bad yeah. and win playoff games. And that's all it's going to take with this team. So that was another huge thing tonight was just seeing so many threes at one at one point i was worried that they were wasting all of their made three pointers in this game like i'm not certain at this point that they don't just have a set amount they can make in the playoffs and there's a quota (laughs) yeah and they're they were using up too many of them in this game but uh yeah i think that's going to be huge for confidence as well yeah absolutely um, all right, so we'll we'll wrap this up soon by just uh, doing a little bit of a preview of Game Three. So, obviously, the series is uh, tied up one-one now. Uh, you know, we talked about how disappointing Game One was and and what a huge turnaround Game Two was. Um, so, what are you looking forward to in Game Three? What do you think the Lakers need to do in order to kind of build on this momentum? And, and you know, going back on the road. After splitting at home, <laughs> uh, really important that they get one back. So, uh, you know, what what do you think they need to do to get that next win? Um, I mean, we talked about it. Starting strong is going to be a big thing again. That's going to be a big thing the whole playoffs. This team feels a lot different when, not that they're necessarily a front running team, but when they can control a game from ahead, it this team feels a lot different um, than when they're chasing a game. Um, so that's always going to be the big thing with this team. Just another start like tonight. And like you said, just seeing how they continue to defend Dame, they've changed it up. Mm-hmm. Um, because that's what playoff series are all about. Just punches and counter punches. Um, the Blazers are going to figure out what the Lakers did to Dame today and to make him go, what I say, six of 14, um, but one of seven from three, and they're going to adjust. And it's going to be a matter of um, how the Lakers continue to defend him and try to keep him out of the game, basically, because, man, I said it after after game one, he is absolutely terrifying in a close game. <laughs> like, yeah. every time he came down the court in that game one in a close game, I was absolutely terrified because literally the moment he crosses half court, he's in range, um, which kind of goes back to the first part. Just don't let it be a close game. Like that takes away a big, a big part of kind of, I don't want to say fear factor. I doubt people are afraid of, or the players are afraid of him, but Dame seems a lot less lethal when one thirty-five footer doesn't give them a two point lead versus yeah. uh, making it a 12 point game. Yeah, and I, I I totally agree with you. Getting out to that quick start, 
especially defensively tonight, they just they they really put the shackles on the Blazers and held them to I think 58 points through three quarters. That was the hottest scoring team in the bubble out of the 22 teams that were in the bubble. The Blazers were the best offense, um, and holding them to just 58 points through three quarters, uh, you know, before garbage time started is insane. Um, and, and when the Lakers are playing that well defensively, and they played def- pretty well defensively in Game One, but it wasn't really at this level. Um, then it allows them those opportunities to get out and run, and they were so much better at that today. Their, you know, the pace of the offense was a whole lot better. They weren't turning the ball over on those uh, fast break opportunities. Um, so really, just that that first, you know, six minutes with those starters coming out strong, really, really setting the tone defensively, and then getting out and running and getting some easy points. Uh, since you know the half court offense with the starters isn't isn't as great. Um, that would do, you know, wonders for the team. Because I think, honestly, I think if they come out strong and build a pretty big lead in the first and second quarters, I, I would be pretty ready to call the series a wrap. I, I think if if they win the next game, it kind of feels like the Blazers lost their lost their chance. Yeah, and I mean, momentum's a hell of a thing. <laughs> it, yeah. I, I would have felt a lot differently about um, tonight. Once the Lakers came out in that first quarter and were really taking it to them, I felt a lot more comfortable. Um, That was a response of a veteran team, a LeBron James-led team tonight. Um, And it's a lot of guys that have been in the playoffs. They knew the stakes, and they came out and executed. And it does seem – I don't (laughs) – this just feels like something that's going to come back to bite me. It does feel like the wind was kind of taken out of the – the Blazer sales tonight. Um, yeah. This is more or less what we expected the series to look like. Definitely not to the tune of a thirty-point lead, but um, the when they're clicking like this, and you, I mean, like you said, LeBron didn't even really click necessarily. Um, yeah. But when the team is playing like this, there's just too many weapons, and the Blazers struggle way too much defensively. Mello looked rough defensively tonight. Um, they just have too many things, too many weapons. Um, so, yeah, I, if they come out strong, get another kind of 10 to 12-point lead in that first quarter, yeah. I mean, I, I already think the series is over, but I think at that <laughs> point it's uh, – I think – I mean, yeah, I, my hot take was that the series is over. Let me frame it that way. Um, but uh, – I think if they get that double-digit lead, then it it might be a wrap because this Lakers team, if they can continue this momentum for a second game running and kind of get back into the mode we saw them before the bubble, um, if they can replicate that at all, then I don't think the Blazers really have much of an answer. Yeah, so basically what Jacob just said is that uh, SoundCloud DJ Augustine is finished. Um, <laughs> I don't 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 put this Harrison hex on me. What Luke Williams with a mixtape or with a SoundCloud or whatever it is? Yeah, I I didn't quite say that. Damian Lillard's still terrifying, but Carmelo Anthony, Winyan Gabriel, and Hassan Whiteside are decidedly not terrifying. <laughs> oh man, we're gonna get the Hassan Whiteside game uh, next time. Although I guess we kind of got that in Game One, weirdly enough. Yeah, we did. I heard. Could you hear him yelling "Vroom" as he ran down the court? <laughs> <laughs> I I think I heard them before the opening tip yell "Ready or not." Um, 
it's amazing as uh, uh, someone pointed out on Twitter tonight. Physically, Hassan Whiteside looks like he should be able to dominate games. It is amazing how little of an impact he can have on games. Even He had three blocks tonight, and even then, he was a negative 14. It is impressive. Yeah, I was getting his cardio in. All <laughs> right, uh, that'll do it. Uh, as always, just remember, everybody, to uh, like and follow us on all your social media platforms. It's facebook.com uh, slash Lakers Outsiders, Twitter and Instagram, at Lakers Outsiders. Um, you can find me on Twitter at H-O-N-I-A-H-M. You can follow Jacob at J-A-C-O-B-R-U-D-E on Twitter and also follow at Lonzo Wire where you'll see all his work about uh, Lakers legend Lonzo Ball if you want to follow his career with uh, the Pelicans. Um, future Timberwolves legend, I guess, Lomelo. <laughs> oh, yeah? <laughs> um, or they could trade, a, trade the pick for Lonzo and get Lonzo and D'Lo on the same team together. What well, could have I- been? I, I thought I saw some PTSD flashbacks from D'Angelo when they got the first pick. He thought, oh, no, they're going to trade me for another ball, brother. <laughs> Man, that is depressing. <laughs> um, yeah, and then you can also follow the podcast on every uh, podcast platform, iTunes, Apple, uh, Podbean, etc. cetera. Uh, I think we're on SoundCloud, but I don't know if we can compete with uh, Damian Lillard on there, so don't go on there. Uh, but leave us uh, your ratings, reviews. Tell us what we do well, what we don't do well, but mostly what we do well because that helps us more. Um, and, uh, yeah, I think, that, I think that will do it for us. Um, for Jacob Rude, this is Hani Amadian signing off. And shout out to Lakers and Blazers legend Steve Blake.